What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby. And Sean. Coming to you live from uh, the respective great Apple, Big Apple and Dirty Jersey. Also known as the tri-state area, the glorious East Coast, not to be confused with any other coast, because any other coast is a lesser coast. Wait, what's what's the tri-state area for you? It's like New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut? No, I always said that the tri-state was New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Oh, I always considered the tri-state as Maryland, Pennsylvania, Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up in Delaware. I should probably think that since like I'm closer to Maryland down in Virginia, I always thought tri-state was just this very cool hip way of saying that I have an accent, I like pizza and bagels. Yeah, but like the, the North Jersey tri-state area is drastically different from the South Jersey tri-state area, for sure. Oh, Jersey in general is way different. Before we even start off on getting into what we're going to talk about today, I think we should let the listeners know exactly what the differences are between Central and North Jersey, which Central I associate as the same thing, and then South yeah. Jersey. Yeah. I would say maybe Central Jersey, you can just say it's Princeton area, because I guess it's a little bit different from like North and South Jersey. I'll admit that. But like South Jersey is essentially the Philly suburbs, whereas North Jersey is the New York City sub. Not really suburbs, but like the boroughs of it's like a New York City extension. I think, and for sports fans out there, if you're from South Jersey, you're a Phillies, Eagles, Flyers, mm-hmm. Sixers fan. Yeah. If you're from Central or North Jersey, you're essentially like Giants, a lot of Jets, Mets fans, and then mm-hmm. even in New York, you're either a Jets, Mets fan or you're a Giant Yankees fan. It's it's not like a I'm a Mets fan as well as a Giants fan. The Mets and Jets are synonymous with the same population as is the Giants and Yankees. Yeah. And you can throw the Rangers and Islanders in there, too. Why yeah. not? I don't really know enough, enough about, like, New York City sports or New York sports to really be able to make that distinction. I sort of really know, like, the uh, splits between the teams. All I know is that most of them are utter trash. That's true. Except... Except the Yankees, who seem to be doing well year after year. And they just got that great pitcher out of Houston. Uh, thank God that he's out of the sign-stealing era <laughs> as the actual pitcher and not a batter. Yeah. Wild. Wild. It's unbelievable. I, I talked about it a little bit in the Weekly Dispatch. But I feel like Houston should have the World Series completely stripped from them. Yeah, honestly, they, they should. I mean, they cheated to get to that point. And it's not like, and the players are acting completely innocent in all of this. Like this was a general manager, an Alex Cora, and uh, owner operator issue. Not like the players were benefiting from it. I mean, the, pe- the the players knew exactly what was going on, went along with it, and then their batting average at home compared to away is drastically different. Right, right, right. But and our cheaters never win. Uh, although cheaters usually do win, though. <laughs> Hashtag 2017, and probably in 2018 when Alex Cora went to go be the manager for the Red Sox when they won. Yeah, I was like, just in general, I feel like cheaters win on a. Uh, as just in general, I feel like cheaters win more. Lance Armstrong, cheater. Mm-hmm. All a lot of the greats, cheaters. You could even make the argument in the WWE that Seth Rollins was a cheater before he became a very popular individual. He kind of turned heel when he split with uh, the authority, and then he pinned Brock Lesnar when Roman Reigns was fighting him, when he cashed in his money in the bank. I'm going all the way back to like 2000, probably 16, 2017 now, but... WWE fans have seemed to have forgotten that fact, as did apparently you. Yeah, I don't know. I literally have no idea what you're talking about, so I'm not going to comment. Well, one thing I think we can both agree on is coming back to the East Coast after a long break is very hard to adjust to. Uh, you coming back from España and then me coming back from Colorado and California what was that like getting back into the fitness regime, the diet regime, and in general getting 
used to that that suburban and city life? Honestly, I was looking forward to getting home just so I could do all the above that you mentioned. Like getting back to my normal rhythm, eating my normal food, sleeping in my bed, working out my gym, you know, working out in the living room, et cetera, et cetera. I was actually looking forward to that. So it was like very nice and relieving to be home uh, after that long trip. How did you prioritize what you were going to focus on first, whether it was diet or fitness? Uh, I think it was more so it was like diet, just getting back to like a normal eating schedule and regimen and like eating normal foods again, like vegetables and fruit. <laughs> and then, So uh, true or false, abs are made in the kitchen? Oh, 100% true. Yeah, I'm actually like sitting at like 195-ish right now. Definitely lost some weight. So I'm trying to like, I don't know if I want to gain that much weight back or just kind of like maintain what I have. But like the strength is like almost there for the most part. Like the uh, last week, the first week back, I squatted like 275 for six by six. And that was like kind of struggle, struggle bus, struggle, a struggle bus squatting six by six, 275. And then yesterday, I squatted six by six at 295 with the last two sets, one going to 305 and 315. So pretty decent sets. So the strength comes well, back re- really fast. Yeah, I remember you were doing like three by five, five by five at 315. Yeah. Over the summer with Dan. Yeah. And, the, and those are 315 is like generally a weight that I can like, I know I can usually squat five by five at not like super struggling with. Like three fifteen is like a decent weight for my back. That's like usually my like metric is like how many how many reps at three fifteen I can get. It's a good like metric for how like where I'm at in terms of leg strength. As yeah, far I as think like that and like high reps at two twenty five, I feel like are are good uh, starting blocks to determine what kind of strength or endurance you have. Yeah, and then like uh, my bench can be is again I'm like trying to get back to benching because it was kind of embarrassing i like got pinned under 185 on the bench last week very embarrassing i've not got pinned under 185 since i was like in high school i think this would be a good opportunity to talk about some of our lifting and how it's switched because when we were at rasp 2 we did that lifting competition uh-huh. little pt thing and it was like the 25 pound bands plus just 135 total on the bar yeah and i, I think we outrepped everyone by like double digits for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but like now I look at my benching and I, I do it so seldomly. It's just one of those lifts. I feel like it's not that functional and like I'm already big enough trying to get on the subway with like a giant, you know, Zeus sized chest is just not productive for, you know, the, the piece of, of the region. Yeah. Like I've never been a big bencher to begin with. Uh, but like I just want to be able to maintain like the bench strength, you know? Uh, so like being able to like, for me, uh, my metric for my bench is like 225 bench. If I can hit 225 for like eight to 10 reps, it's usually about like pretty much where I like to sit at in terms of bench strength. Like, my best bench was like 315. I think the best I ever got was like 315. Uh, but I don't know if I'll ever try to get that again. I don't know. No, you hit 325 in my garage two winters ago. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> there we go. That was the yeah. altitude, though, so you have to adjust for that. Oh, yeah, the lighter air, so there's not as much... Uh, lighter weight. Yeah, lighter weight. <laughs> lighter air, it's math. Weight. I mean, I know you're a science <laughs> guy, but it's math. It's actually physics. Oh, no, is that physics? Yeah, that's to be considered physics. Well, I just don't know where gravity comes from because if we're on a flat earth, you know, what's pushing us down? That's what I want to know. That's what science can't answer for me. And until they can show me that my ruler is bending on the horizon, it's a flat earth for me, everybody. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever heard about like some of the other conspiracy theories, like the simulation and all this other stuff? Yeah, there was that. And then one I just saw, it was an Instagram post, so I'm saying this like I've researched it and I'm intellectual. The idea that if you have deja vu, that's just a parallel glitch. universe where you're uh, experiencing it at the same time. Yeah, I would say like a glitch in the simulation or whatever. If it's a simulation, I'm pretty fine with it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it doesn't change any anything because like if you assume that it's a simulation and what you do doesn't matter, then why don't you just do it, you know? Right. But then if it is true and then we're not in a simulation, then you just fuck yourself. So either way, you're at lose-lose. <laughs> yeah, or, or you're just an asshole for thinking that everything revolves around you. Yeah. <laughs> if, 
If it is a, a simulation, I just want to say thank you to the zero and one programmers out there for making me so good looking, because I think the simulation would be way harder if I didn't have this this physique and this power nose. Right, the Roman nose. Yeah, the the Great British Isles nose. Um, but yeah, that's so. I like uh, as far as my other lifts, I, my cleans, my cleans are okay. My jerks and like my snatches are like really funky. So I'm just trying to like dial it back in and get back to it. But like everything else is it comes back pretty fast. Like as far as conditioning goes, uh, I'd say my conditioning level is probably about the same it was when I left before the vacation for like the, the almost three weeks of not working out. Well, let's talk conditioning. So for individuals that are coming off of, like, say, two weeks of leave where they go home, they don't do a workout, but they've been doing your functional fitness programming, uh-huh. what is, like, a good time period uh, for them to get back into that same programming? Or what are some, some like, intermediate functional fitness metcons that they could do to, to ramp themselves back up gradually? Uh, I guess... I don't know. It really depends on like the individual, but uh, I did a lot of like monostructural interval work the first week back because that's like um, probably the most efficient way of increasing your cardiovascular like work capacity is just doing intervals at like a you know like seventy to eighty percent of your like heart rate. So I did like a lot of intervals. Like I I've mentioned before in like some of my other Q and A sessions, like my favorite uh, scheme is like a three by two k resting two minutes as like my go to workout on the ski erg uh, for me because I feel like that does the best for my conditioning overall. Uh, so that's my favorite thing to do is three by two k resting two minutes. That's solid. I like I like that one. I, we did something like that in your uh, your house when I was up there the last time. That was a lot of fun with the intervals. Mm-hmm. For running, I always enjoy just doing quarters. The, the, the better distance would be like 400s, but mm-hmm. I always make sure that I'm doing about two miles worth of intervals. But starting right back, like that first Monday, maybe hitting like six 400s on a, on a one-to-one, and then the next mm-hmm. week going up to eight, and then then changing the ratio for your rest being uh, just a little bit less than the the work and that that you know that standard time under tension, mm-hmm. but with running that I like those workouts. I'm getting back into it because after a month and a half of very limited cardio because of finals and traveling, it is so painful getting oh, back yeah. into Dude, it. It's the worst getting back into it because like you know that. For me, it's like always a mental struggle when it comes to the strength port, like strength portions, because like I know I'm stronger than this, but I also know that if I go at like my previous weight, I'm going to fucking break myself off. So it's really like an ego check coming back from break. It's like really like a general rule of thumb that I like to do is like do like a ten percent decrease from what you normally do, and that's like what you should work out at, like a ten to fifteen percent below your normal weights, at least for the first week or so, to just get back into things. And as far as conditioning, I usually do, like, 20 minutes is, like, my uh, general goal, like, 20 minutes of work and X amount of rest. So that's usually what I try to schedule my intervals around, whether that's, like, the 2Ks, doing 2Ks, 1Ks, 500s, whatever, shooting for about, like, 20 minutes worth of work and then whatever rest in your scheme that you choose. It's a general good rule of thumb. Or, like, five about 5K, of rowing or skiing or about uh, 20 minutes of work, generally speaking, like the rough uh, ballpark of what I try to do. I think it was 19.4 was the double under toes to bar thrusters workout. Mm-hmm. I love that workout because of how simple it is. And it's all based on your conditioning level because none of the lifts are so difficult or none of the movements are so difficult you couldn't, theoretically do it continuously just straight through right but it's how you want to pace yourself and so i like to throw something like that in there where maybe i supplement the double unders with a run and i I increase the resistance on the air runner or i throw in the double unders and the toes to bar becomes like box jumps i just feel like that was such a total body killer Uh and it was just a a painful experience afterwards in the lungs like that was probably one of my favorite workouts that they've ever programmed minus the oh absolutely minus the one that they repeated 
from 2012 or 13 that showed up in 17 where it was the 50 cal row, 50 deadlifts, 50 wall balls. Oh, yeah. I like that workout. I was, I'm, but I'm like a big fan of like chipper just in general. Yeah, I I am too. I'm really hoping with just a couple sanctionals left, they start really hammering down what the game's format is going to look like uh, yeah. end of July, beginning of August. Because I was reading some stuff that, unfortunately for a lot of the athletes out there that are trying to get to these sanctionals, they have these wild card uh, invites. Invites, yeah. And so people are getting invites that maybe already have slots to the games or probably won't make the games through the open qual or even through the sanctionals. But now they're taking, you know, a potentially a, a very advantageous spot for that 19, that 20-year-old that just came out of the teen division, all because they're pulling in the brand name. So it's it's weird when they're trying to market themselves at the sanctional level without regionals, which was sponsored by CrossFit, exactly how they're going to start marketing themselves, generating revenue in order to send these individuals. Because we were talking about it with the guy from Papua New Guinea who is like, oh, what, yeah, what yeah. 100,000th place did he finish? Yeah, 89,000th place in the world in the open. Dude, I've never done a muscle up before. Games. Yeah, going to yeah. the games. It's but like you good know, for like, you, but that, yeah. that's the kind of stuff there that the open, like, I really did not like watching the CrossFit games last year because it seemed the first couple workouts were very heavy in endurance with a weight that would give anyone who wasn't really justly earning a spot there difficulty with that 185 snatch. But we didn't see any CrossFit movements until the final 10. Right. Yeah, I don't know about the program, like what they're gonna do this year. I heard I've heard that they're gonna do like a um, the first three workouts are gonna be like no cuts for the first three, and it'll be like an every second counts type of thing where they do like like three of the, the first three workouts are gonna be like kind of like classic cross like girls workouts, where like every second counts. So like they add up all your times and then like they're set up some some like sort of cut off. So like as the you know as the uh, as like like then cut like half the field or whatever from that and then go from there, which I think makes more sense because like I would you'd have you have to like empathize for like the people that like win this game slot from like you know like Papua New Guinea and are like ninetieth place ninety thousandth place in the world that go to the games and then you know can't even finish the first workout and like and that's it. So I feel like they should at least give those people like an opportunity to like at least try or like you know participate in the games. I think that's nice of them, but it's kind of with this whole move that CrossFit is making where they're trying to be more inclusive and trying to get away from the image that they are a bona fide lifting competitive sport. And I just don't know what their messaging is because the moment that they started getting rid of the regionals, and I'm not even close to going to any one of them, but I feel yeah. like it all of a sudden just became less competitive and it became right. more for why don't you just go to Orange Theory, Barry's Boot Camp, you name it, any one of these Globo gyms puts on it. What makes CrossFit unique was the fact that there was this almost unattainable place that you could compete at. And when all of a sudden right. you see people just by chance for living in another country that are less fit than you, that get to go and do something that used to be just the, the pinnacle of fitness, it, it diminishes it for me. Right, right, right. But at the same time, though, you know, I do remember hearing, like, Glassman saying that, like, the CrossFit games were kind of like a mistake because – that drove like so much of CrossFit's like uh, I guess like uh, media bias or like you know like the cross like the zeit like the public zeitgeist image of CrossFit it was just like you know these elite athletes whereas you know CrossFit was like intention I guess like originally meant to be a way for people to get fit fast without have you know as like a health thing instead of like a elite fitness competitive nature type thing. That's a bullshit excuse for him with the way his company was was formed and programmed for success because the only reason CrossFit is successful is because of the games. If you right. don't have games and you didn't have the sanctionals and regionals, nobody would be doing CrossFit. It's because they see these supreme fitness stars. And that's like saying the NFL being like, oh, we're going to stop really covering NFL games because we want to focus on the indoor arena league that was where our real heart was or we want to focus on the 60 year olds that are playing you know backyard pickup football I I that's know not that, true that's not that's not the, the bet that's like a not the correct algorithm like a the uh al 
what's what am I saying? Not the same situation. Analogy. 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 That's what I was looking for. But it's not the same Symbolism. analogy. Symbolism. Yeah, not the same analogy. I would say it was like if you would, if you're using that analogy, I would say like you know the NFL is like trying to is not gonna broadcast their games as much because they would rather focus more so on like funding uh like the Six kids kids yeah especially like that but yeah i guess i don't know i think the the crossfit thing is taken off you can't you can't stop the train it's it's already left the station yeah and it's moving too fast right now and you see a lot of athletes that have come out and are like really supportive of it now or they write these op-eds i think china cho wrote one about regionals going away and how she's had to transition and when she was on the team but it seems a lot of the athletes i feel are just doing this it's not an altruistic motion at all to show that they like the new format it almost seems just they want to stay relevant Mm -hmm. and by them coming out and supporting it they know they're going to get up on the morning chalk up they know they're going to be on uh, the CrossFit Journal talking and praising it so that they can get those clicks on the Instagram and they get more, you know, advertising. I don't know. I just think it's a they're more selfish than anything because the real athletes were pissed about it. Like Pat Vellner and Fakowski were not pleased last year after interviews talking about the format because those guys should have been in the top 10. You could say they, they didn't earn their spot in the top 10 because they didn't perform, but it was performance based on tests and skill sets that I don't really think you have to be a good CrossFitter to be successful at. You could have probably gone to uh, any one of the Thor centers or any one of the CRTFs and found a ranger there that could have probably kept up with the high-level CrossFitters in those endurance events. Right. Yeah, but I think that's mostly like a jab, just like the organization of the games instead of like the intent behind CrossFit health and that stuff. That might be. I think where they're going with trying to get like prescripted fitness as a means of a medical prescription is really cool. Mm-hmm. I would I would love that. I would totally support that because it's one of those things that the more fit you are, I think the less sick you get. No, oh, that's a hundred percent. And this is like from from data too. Like it is a proof like scientifically proven fact that obesity is not good for you. I could like talk about like, I can pull like data and like talk about like the increased risk of like all these other diseases that come with, you know, being obese. And like, I'm not trying to like fat shame people, but like you should be happy with your body. But at the same time, you should recognize the fact that being fat is very unhealthy for you and is directly linked with shortening life like shortening your life. Well, you just put a target on your back like Jillian Michaels after her interview this last week talking about Lizzo. Did you hear about that? I think I saw something about it. I was like, don't really get involved with this stuff. I tried it was like, to. it was manufactured anger where they asked her a question about the music and she was saying how her kid like loves Lizzo. She loves listening to music. And then all of a sudden the host goes and is like, isn't it great that we have someone with her body image out there and healthy and, you know, promoting that kind of message. And Jillian Michaels essentially said, I I guess, why are you asking me? I don't think like that's a body that we should be presenting as health, maybe for happiness, but not health. Oh yeah. And she was like, if we were to celebrate her for getting diabetes, would it be the same story? And then she got completely flayed on social media, talking about all the people that had like type one diabetes that weren't overweight. It's like, well, that's not what she was saying when she meant diabetes. And that's definitely like not a way to interpret her comment. There was a specific reason for what she said and people just wanted to get angry for the sake of just being on social media and having like one of the posters re-like you know their comment on their page yeah it's like i, I don't know the that the, the like like public you know dynamic is a little weird nowadays where it's like you know you people are kind of willing to like ignore like science and facts and you know talk about feels like you know talk about like feelings and stuff where like you're really like lying to yourself and saying that you're healthy obese because you by definition are not healthy for obese and you can talk about like blood markers and like 
you know, sign like, you know, like cholesterol levels, whatever, whatever, and like blood pressure, whatever have you. But at the end of the day, being obese is not good for your health. Well, you spent a lot of time in the hospitals. What percentage of people would you say were in there for obesity-related illness? Uh, Again, this is a, dude. a t- approximation here, but... I would say, like, uh, from the sick people, like, the sick, sick people, the people that um, are, like, on the verge of dying, I would say, like, probably 50% of them are, like, obese. Like, there's a very high correlation between obesity and, like, sickness. And, like, when I, it what, depends on, like, what service you're on. And, like, uh, I remember when I was on, like, the Gynonc, which is gynecological oncology service last year during my, during my OB rotation, uh, every single woman that was on that service that had like some kind of gynecological cancer was almost, it was like 90% of them were obese because, um, I won't delve into like the physiology as much, but, uh, pretty much if you look at, look at like fat tissue, fat tissue is essentially a estrogen factory. So basically like fat tissue takes like testosterone and converts it to estrogen. It doesn't matter which sex you are. So if you have a lot of fat, you inherently have more estrogen, and in terms of cancer, like endometrial cancer, breast cancer, having increased estrogen directly correlates with an increased risk for breast and ovarian cancer and uh, and uterine cancer. Well, this is going to be a, a weird segue, but when we you talk about estrogen and hormones, and then how it affects both sexes, if you're a male and you are more obese and have more of that fat, and then you're talking about talking about how those hormones affect cancer growth would that also have a direct impact on like sex drive for men like the more obese you are oh yeah 100 levels 100 so like just regardless of like what regardless of what gender you are or what sex you are having more fat gives you more like estrogen as a hormone regardless of what sex you are so if you're like obese as a male you're definitely gonna have a lot of like you know testosterone deficiency issues because you have more fat, therefore most of your testosterone is getting converted, getting converted to estrogen. So you you know you have like some like libido issues, energy issues, concentration issues, you know, all the sequelae of having you know increased estrogen. That's super interesting. And then for people out there that want to lose the weight, and you've kind of listed some of the health implications of not doing so. What would a general timeline be from? when they start eating healthy and doing some moderate exercise to see physical results because a lot Oof. of people don't have patience. Yeah. And that's like the biggest thing, you know, it's, it's hard to like lose weight <laughs> and it takes like, it'll probably t- it probably takes like months before you can actually physically see like a difference in your body, depending on like how fat you are or how much fat tissue you have. It could take like weeks or months before you even see any difference in your like like physical appearance but as far as like uh physiological like improvements that happens relatively quick probably like a week two weeks probably like your body starts changing after a couple of weeks of just exercise diet and exercise but you know with people in today's society they want you know the one trick or like the the pill the magic pill that makes them lose weight and get some like give the six packs abs so you know most people that want to go on these diets and stuff end up or with that want to lose weight go on these like crash diets they're like one or two week diets that you just you know don't eat and go on these juice cleanses or whatever tea cleanses whatever people do that doesn't really lead to any long lasting gains or long lasting changes and you're just still back at square zero in terms of like your lifestyle and like incorporating like a healthy lifestyle into your current lifestyle so why doesn't the the yo-yo diet work? Is is it because your body is getting shocked constantly, and so it's saying, okay, I have to now reserve uh, these fat cells in order to maintain some energy for the future because I don't know where my next meal's coming, or what's the real reason for that? Or yeah, one I don't really know the exact like physiological mechanism for like the yo-yo diets, but I mean, um, generally speaking, over just just in general you're, like the human body is extremely good at adapting to to new situations new circumstances so like if you go on like a crash diet for like two weeks of like a juice cleanse or, or like you know a like tea cleanse where you don't eat anything for two weeks your body's going to automatically like go into like starvation mode and then you know start signaling 
going like cells signaling inside your cells to like start conserving energy, decreasing your metabolic rate, decreasing your metabolism in order to to save as much energy as possible because it's like a unsustainable diet essentially. So then like when you go back, can we finish the crash diet? You like lose like 15, 20 pounds or whatever, how much you lose because it's all water weight, you're just losing water weight. And then your body just, you know, you start eating normally again. And your body just like, I was like, oh, you know, I have all these like calories coming in because I'm I'm in a, I'm in a feeding state. So I'm going to hold on to all these calories, you know, store it as fat. So my body, so your body has more energy to stay saved for the next time that you go into the starvation mode. And it's like that cycle of, you know, constantly starving or of starving yourself and then going into uh, and then eating normally. So you're gaining weight and then just like the never ending cycle of yo-yoing weights. Jaw feel. Jaw totally feel. Yeah. So the answer, therefore, is not necessarily to go on these diets, but the answer to lose long inducing like long lasting like physio like body changes is to go is to change your lifestyle and like your relationship with diet, exercise, and just health. And that well, you should I had some I had some meat over like my break and it was weird, man. Yeah. Like going for months without eating it and all of a sudden consuming like again, delicious ham. I had some delicious like honey glazed ham. I'm mm-hmm. gonna I'll eat that all day, but having not consumed meat for so long and we were talking about it earlier, uh, with where you, you just ate like it it threw me for a loop i was my body was not prepared to process this meat and like thinking about it like flesh like this is something's like hind leg yeah and uh what sean's talking about so um i went out to fogo de chao with uh my fiance and her family today oh my god fiance! which was like don't get me wrong i used to love fogo de chao because i like love to crush meat uh but never since you know I went started to become more plant based like last couple months ago, I started noticing like I don't like meat anymore. It kind of like phys like physiologic like not physically but like mentally bothers me a little bit because when I see like you know like a like a steak, I just imagine it as like an animal being like an animal's like hindquarter or like you know leg being chopped off and then like carving off a piece of steak from this animal's leg kind of like analogous to like someone cutting my leg off and then cutting like a steak out of my quad and serving to somebody else. Like it kind of turns me off a little bit. I got like really, that would be delicious. I just have to say you're very lean and you've got a little bit of a fat layer. Oh yeah. I'm I'm sure like I'd probably be pretty good. I probably would taste pretty good because I eat like a pretty clean diet too. So, you know, talk about grass fed, grass finished. (laughs) 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 But uh, yeah, like meat's like starting to like, like just really like not interest me anymore like i won't i like i'll eat like indian like food and like in curries i I actually like still eat a lot of curries um like we had indian food the other night and i had uh lamb curry because i like lamb curry but for me like my like mentally it doesn't bother me as much eating like curry because it's like you don't really see the meat but, like seeing a steak and like seeing the steaks like the striations in the in the in the muscle I'm just like, oof, this is like an animal's like quad or like an animal's hamstring. I'm just eating this animal's hamstring. It's just like kind of turns me off mentally and like, you know, emotionally turns me off. But it's so delicious. I think but it, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely delicious. But that that is weird when you see all this meat. And one thing I've noticed by not eating meat consistently and then now getting back on my plant base now that the break was over and with traveling is like how much meat gets consumed. Like, in a city like New York, oh dude, yeah, in, in every town. I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of nuggets are consumed a week? Mm-hmm. How many millions of chickens, like every couple weeks, get consumed in just this one tri-state area? And then to think of that globally, and then how much feed that they need, and you know, like all the good alternatives. I mean, like you're talking about curries. I love going to Indian restaurants. There's a million of them. Mm-hmm. In the city, uh, I think Penan 2 on the Lower East Side is like one of my go-to places. It's also like an Instagrammer's dream because it's super colorful with the Christmas lights they have up everywhere. But they have so many vegetarian options, and you really can't tell the difference with like a really good potato in the sauce to like what you were saying. Um, you like lamb. Like they have a, a lamb vindaloo, and you can get that substituted oh, I, with... I love lamb vindaloo. Uh, it's, it's so delicious. And so... 
I think a lot of people just have this preconceived notion, and I can't remember if it was from that, that Netflix show or I was watching it on another documentary where the idea of manliness was associated with eating meats in like the 60s or mm-hmm. 70s. Because of advertising. Right, to advertise. So that's the only reason that we have this idea that if, if you're not eating like red meat, you're not somehow a man because you don't, in, in this like hyper-masculine environment, you don't want to be associated with anything but, you know, the the predominant sex and the, the mastering sex. And then now that we're, you know, becoming a little bit more open as a society, I think that's starting to get torn away. But we still have these eating habits. Yeah. Like, honestly, I feel really fucking good when I eat primarily plant-based. Like, I still eat meat, maybe like, you know, like two or three, maybe four meals a week. But uh, there, I would say I'm like 90%. I derive most, like nine, the majority of my calories from plants. And I just honestly feel better. Like, wouldn't you, do you agree with that? I don't know if it's like a high oh, Yeah. I feel way more lean mm-hmm. when I'm just on plant-based. It's easier for me too to figure out like physically what I see in the mirror if I want to make an adjustment. Like if I'm not looking lean enough, I'm like, okay, maybe I need to cut back on my carbs because I'm not doing as much cardio. Um, I got to change like some of my, my energy pathways. So I, I'll just go more towards like, you know, higher protein and higher fats with, you know, nuts and stuff. So it's like, a, yeah, I feel like it's easier for me to adjust my diet to the outcomes and the results I want to see versus doing that with meat. And in general, just, I, I don't know. I kind of like animals now. It's weird. <laughs> I look at a cow and I'm like, I could have one in my backyard, like put a yeah. little like German cowbell on it, like yeah. build a hut up in the mountains. Yeah. It's just like, you know, the difference between like a cat, like a cow that you eat for food and your dog that you have as a pet is just, you're just psychologically conditioned to eat cows and not eat dogs, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's I mean, I'm just like, a Trader Joe's and like I, one, I like Trader Joe's. Like I think some of their stuff is a little overpriced. They, they just built a new one here on 14th street. And before I start with Trader Joe's, their layout is awful I, at this spot. I hate going to Trader Joe's. It's like the, it's one is like super packed because everyone likes Trader Joe's. So it's just always packed with people, and they're just, just generally speaking, like rude people. That I mean, I don't know about in the city, but in Jersey, Trader Joe's just like these bougie people that like don't consider anybody else's like you know anybody else around them. So they just leave their cards in the middle of nowhere, like wander around and like block everywhere and like just stand in front of like aisles and stuff. Fucking oh, kills me. Yeah, the blocking was what I was gonna get to. These people in front of the produce are like staring at it. Reading the the nutrition value of like a thing of spinach, <laughs> yeah. just pick the fucking spinach up yeah. and move. I'm gonna grab six of them, or I'm trying to to grab the uh, the tofu. Like I I need you to move. I need to grab that, or, or trying to grab fruit. And then there's places that you can put your cart. You can put your cart, you know, on the end of an aisle. You don't have to leave it in the the, the aisles are already thin as they are. And then they have like the weird support columns that they didn't like. Maybe we should have this in the middle of our stacking zone instead of in the middle of the aisle so none of the carts can get through. But that being said, I do like Trader Joe's because I feel like it has more fresh produce and fruit. But that's like the only stuff that I'll buy from there. I'll go to Target. I'll go to like any one of the bodegas to get like my rice, my oats, Mm -hmm. uh, in general, even some of my nuts because... Trader Joe's, I think, just has a better selection of, like, some of the tofu or um, meat-free substitutes. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of the uh, tempeh and the the high-protein tofu they have at Trader Joe's. And then uh, some of, like, the broccoli slaw. I don't buy a lot of produce at at, uh, Trader Joe's because in Jersey, we have Produce Junction, which is, like, a wholesaler of, like, produce. So I can buy, like, for $20, I can get, like, three bushels, like, two pounds of kale like two pounds of, like two pounds of apples a bag of like spinach potatoes and all is like like probably like 15 20 pounds worth of produce for like 20 dollars. it is stupid cheap that's awesome i i wish we had something that was a little bit more like accessible here my, yeah, that's my like apartment complex does like a they do a, a like a farmer's, farmer's market. market thing in the summer but it's it's weird like, I thought the farmer's market I went to in Brooklyn was weird with fruit and vegetables I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. 
uh, sold by people with like glasses thick enough to see like the footprints on the moon, but like I I couldn't buy any of the stuff here because it just it was not appetizing whatsoever. Yeah. Even though it was supposed to look raw and like unfiltered, I would like recommend going up to China, going down, down up to Chinatown. Chinatown, down. China, the groceries in Chinatown always have like really cheap prices. I'm like, doesn't matter which Chinatown you go to, they always have really cheap like produce prices. Oh, dude, I'll get bobo juice while I'm down there. Yeah. All right, let me. Uh, Delicious. My recorder's about to die. The battery's running low. So, uh, let's press pause for here. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back uh, and finish out. All right. All right. Quick pause. Pause. All right, guys. We are back from little little break. And we're uh, back. Had to take a quick break. But uh, yeah, what were we talking about? We were talking about Trader Joe's and Produce Junction and how much we hate going to the grocery store on Sundays because it's absolute mayhem. Oh, I made the mistake. I went there and it was like, that was one of the things I wanted to vent about, like getting back to the city and coming from like the land of openness in the majestic foothills of the Rockies to this and being like closed in and like everything's just sour and mean and yeah. rude and people bumping into you or like I'll walk, you know, down a down a lane of a sidewalk and people will walk towards me. I'll just stop walking. Like just to make <laughs> sure they go around me because if I if I kept walking, then you're going to run into them because they surely don't think that they should move for you. That's the only thing that Thank I think you. as a at, for privilege as like a jacked just Chris Hemsworthy looking dude, people should part like the Red Sea. Right, but that's kind of your male privilege shining through too. Yeah, yeah, but that—that's it. That's the only privilege I have because I was born this way. Hashtag Lady Gaga. Oh, but now that you mentioned male privilege, that brings up a good point that I kind of wanted to, to explore a little bit with you. So just a little bit of context. Uh, so the last like week or so, I've been uh, I've been doing my surgery. I'm doing a surgery rotation right now, but it's called like a sub internship or sub I basically you're supposed to function at like the level of an intern, which is the first year resident. So, you know, like you're kind of like supposed to practice, like responding to pages, like answering pages, seeing patients bedside, doing consults, uh, pretty much like the grunt work of being a resident. So like this entire week I was carrying the pager and then nurses or other doctors or pretty much anybody can page you to ask like questions or like ask you about a patient or whatever. And I didn't realize or I didn't really appreciate it until like one night, uh, one of the female residents was talking to me and she was like, did you notice that Bobby? I was like, no, I didn't notice that. And she's like, not a single nurse has questioned you on whether what you're doing is right or wrong. And I was like, that's really true. Like, I mean, like I'm a medical student and, you know, I'm answering the phone and telling nurses, like, what to do. I mean, obviously with supervision because the residents are sitting right next to me, like, listening to the conversation. But, like, she was like, you know, as a as a female, nobody ever does that to us. Like, we get questioned on a constant basis, constant, like, daily basis about what we should do. And it doesn't, not just on the phones, but, like, in person, too. Like, we get mistaken for nurses all the time. Even nurses and other doctors, like, shoot us down in front of patients. And I was like, wow, I didn't, I never really like appreciated that fact that as like a male, I am automatically assumed to be a doctor. Like I'll go, for example, like I, a couple of times I went to like the patient's bedside to go evaluate a patient and the nurses would always be like, oh, the, the doctor's here to see you. The doctor's here to see you and take a look at you. And I was like, I didn't, at this point, I don't even bother correcting people saying I'm a medical student because I'm just like, I don't feel like it's just whatever. It's just a formality. But now that like I think about it it's like just being a male you know people naturally associate you or assume you to be you know someone of an authority or like an authoritative personality person whereas like female physicians are, are like dealing with this on a constant basis of whether or not you know they're being like undermined by nurses undermined by other like doctors because they're females not being like taken seriously i was like that would, that would really suck if i was a female well do you think also Two, if you were not, say, as physically fit or you didn't have the presence that you had coming out of the military as a male, yeah. you might get that a little bit less, not to not to take away from, you know, the, the privilege the of being a male. 
No, that's a good point. I do like, I definitely walk around with like a little bit of swagger in the hospital. Uh, <laughs> not gonna lie. <laughs> if anyone's like ever seen me walk around the hospital, I do walk around like, you know, like I walk around with like a present. I, I won't say like big dick sweat, big dick energy, big dick swagger, but like I definitely walk around with like, you know, like standing straight, like my, you know, standing straight up um, and kind of like walking very confidently and looking confident. And I th- like as, as much as like you hate to say it, like perception is reality a lot of the time. And people, if you f- if you like don't if you look like you're unsure, people automatically will take that you're unsure. So that's one of the big things I learned in like med school is that you always need to like appear confident and appear and at least sound like you know what you're talking about. Because the moment that you like give off the vibe that you don't know what you're doing is like the vibe that you lose all like control of situations. Oh yeah, I mean, ha- which, which I guess is true in the military too. I mean, yeah, because how many MLs did you stand there and then watch that PL get up there and do his brief, either looking at notes or, you know, he had the mic in his hand and you couldn't hear him. You're like, well, that, that guy's gone. Like, yeah, enjoy your last like, jump. Yeah, and it's like uh, it's funny. Eighteen Disaster did like a cute, you know, Eighteen Disaster the meme page on on Instagram. The reborn one. Yeah, he's back, but he was doing like a Q and A session, and and someone some person asked like, asked like, uh, what's the best piece of advice you could give someone kind of going to soft? And he's like, that perception is reality ninety nine percent of the time, and you know, and word your reputation is as good, like you're only as good as your reputation. And I was like, that's very accurate. Like, you aren't sh- like you know. Like, I don't know. I don't. Know. I'm sure it was the same thing for you, Italian, But like, I wasn't shit until like, I approved myself after the first training cycle. Like, no one like res- I would say like not many people respected me until like after the first training cycle, and then people will actually realize that you know, this guy knows what he's doing. He's physically fit. He's also like a pretty decent dude. So you know what? I'm gonna respect him. But it took like probably like a good fucking like six months to a year for people to start to respect you. I mean, it definitely takes a while. I remember getting there and being like very humble um, and, you know, trying to show some humility in the process. But everyone else there is, you know, not, it's not a backstabbing organization at all, but it's definitely each your own. And so if if they see that and they don't see you coming out as like a super type A, like Like alpha, alpha they'll they'll just look at you as like someone that's a pushover. And then all of a sudden you just have to make sure you can, you know, switch that that trigger and and let them know that you're like, you don't either A, tolerate, um, their opinion or, the, you know, do something to show them that their opinion is, is incorrect just by performance. And that's just like, it's a really difficult mm-hmm. thing to get through. I, it's one of the things that, like, we get hit up a pretty good amount of the time. Like, what's the difference between, you know, like a, a Ranger officer versus, like, a Green Beret officer? And I, I, I don't think there is a huge difference, but I would just say one of them is, like, the extent to which like you can take a back seat and let others brief and others lead and do what they do and manage versus like needing to be out front and not really putting a lot of trust in your subordinates. Yeah. And I would say like, I think one of the, the easiest or that one of the fastest ways that I earned respect was during PT. <laughs> yeah. P- PT is huge. I mean, like that is a, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that everyone makes fun of, you know, most infantry officers minus the fat ones. But, like, if, if you're physically in shape, and I, I've, I've told this to multiple lieutenant colonels, colonels, like, generals that I've run into, like, the 75th Ranger Regiment is an incredible organization because they do the simple things perfectly, but they're also physically in shape. And so if there is mm-hmm. a variable that gets thrown into a training plan or gets thrown into a mission... Because they're physically fit, that will never be an issue of you have to walk another right. 10 miles to get there. Oh, you have to carry more kit. But that's not like that in the regular Army because the majority of units don't take fitness seriously because we have this idea that when we go to the next war, you're going to be in a vehicle. You're going to be on a FOB. You're not mm-hmm. going to have to be humping it. And you just look at like the size difference in soldiers from World War II compared to now. And I saw a really funny meme. It's like, you know, it was a picture... Um, of when Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think it's, is it Billy D. Williams? No, that's not his name. Uh, where they do like, you know, Bennett, you son of a bitch. You know, what are you doing oh, here? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, they, they slap yeah, hands. Predator. And it was like, you know, a fat guy and then uh, a jacked guy and their hands represented like small kit. 
like you can't really tell the difference. <laughs> like, you know, if the guy's super right. fat or super fit, you know, in that situation. And it's just one of those things. I think the Army's changed some. Yeah. But, like, that, I mean, that, I mean, I think that's, like, true of anywhere. It's, like, the first, like, the first impression you make or something that someone has on you is a pretty lasting impression. And I just remember, like, the uh, the FSO that replaced me um, came in, and he was, like, kind of a fat piece of shit. He just looked fat and sloppy. So, literally, nobody respected him off the bat already to begin with. So, it was just, like, you know, you really do yourself a disservice, not only as, like, a leader, uh, especially in the military, you really do yourself a disservice if you just don't look like you belong or don't look like the part. Oh, my God. The guy that Dave replaced was just, like, a bag of milk. And yeah, this sometimes this dude like, <laughs> like a pack of everybody walked <laughs> all over him, and yeah, like some of the Rangers liked him only because they never had to get his approval or authority for anything. Yeah, to do anything because they cause he knew they could walk over. He him. didn't do his job because he knew that if he had to do his job, he would be too fat to do it. And yeah. uh, Dave came in and like Dave just flipped that place upside down. It was like no, there's like an order to things here. We're gonna do it the right way. And like they had a great, great section, and the Rangers absolutely loved him. He's still, he's still rocking it right now as a commander. But it's just one of those things. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a long time based on whatever that system that came, that set up before you got there. It, it takes a long time to change. I know when I left Fort Hood, the guy that took over my platoon, and it was like I was super salty about it because he was like an untabbed infantry officer. The guy was like thinner than a thing of Burt's beeswax, uh, wasn't fast enough at running to be that thin. And I was just like, God, and then watching him like just finger fuck basic training uh, for my guys and take away the the initiative that they had gotten over the deployment to do things. It was like super frustrating, aggravating. And it's one of those things you just like, all right, like I hope people took like a little bit of like what that platoon did and mm-hmm. they can apply Before. it somewhere else, but this guy is just yeah. ruining it. But yeah, I think that's like in the military. Well, I guess that it's the challenge that comes in being in the military too, like developing long-term culture in the units. Well, I think a lot of it's the long-term culture. Esprit de corps is huge. If if guys go through like uh, have mutual experiences then there's that buy-in and there's almost like an obligation that they want to perform uh, for that, that unit patch that they've got. Yeah. It's one of the things that I hated wearing a Stetson. And as a result, none of my guys wanted to wear a Stetson. And my Mm -hmm. commander pulled me aside and said, like, you might think this is stupid. I might think this is stupid because the guys that wore these were significantly more badass than we'll ever be you know, from Vietnam and, you know, making the, mm-hmm. the journeys back in the 18 and 1900s. But he's like, for most of these guys, this might be their only unit. They need to enjoy what they're doing and find that the unit that they're in is the best that they're ever going to get in. And so they should make, you know, make this be their home. And if you're not wearing your Stetson, yeah. the guys are going to automatically think that something's wrong with the unit and they're not going to put it all in. It's like, that, yeah. it's like a really good point. It's a maturity thing. And not saying That's that like when I leave... Thing that that organization goes to shit like saying that I'm like you know God's gift to the infantry realm but you know you feel like what you've built and what you've accomplished with your platoon sergeant your squad leaders uh should be more permanent and and seeing someone come in and just make drastic changes right off the bat is just aggravating yeah but like it's a little like you know self conceited almost wouldn't you say Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, because you have to think that, like, your platoon shit doesn't stink. Like, if your platoon makes yeah. an error, I'm never going to tell anyone that they did. Like, you could be like, hey, was this third platoon's fault? Oh, you mean, like, the giant third platoon that got spray-painted on the, the side of the talk? Nope. Definitely not. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. We have pictures mm-hmm. of them. Not my guys. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you just have to go, like- you just go to bat for them. Yeah, but sometimes I was just like a little, you know, arrogant. This the thing that, like, you were like your actions or your the the culture that you created in one year with your platoon is like you know, gonna last too. Oh, it's it's one hundred percent 
like it stems from arrogance and you know you just think that you've accomplished something when there are hundreds of thousands of individuals that have done the exact same thing you have you know within decades and the same way that you jumped into season objective during an M ladder the same way you did a raid in Afghanistan is the same way that they were doing it in 2002 and the guy that was leading that platoon thought the exact same thing and you know the squad leaders that were coming up with breaching techniques were thinking that that was new and revolutionary and you know you might find out like a year earlier uh the other platoon over did the exact same breach. So it's just one of those things. You, you, you like to put your mark on those that you mm -hmm. serve with, and you just hope that it's a positive one, not like a yeah. uh, Captain uh, – what's the guy's name from Band of Brothers? Sobel. You're just not – you're not a Sobel. Sobel, yeah. I don't know. I kind of like uh, – I thought about – that's something I thought about for a long time, about like what kind of influence or what kind of mark they would leave on my guys and like instead of like cause i would think about that a lot and then i kind of came to the realization that you know it doesn't really matter what i did or didn't do whether or not i was like the best interest of my guys or not i think like at the end of the day i could put my 100 percent and then some effort into being an episode for my guys and doing what was best for my guys and i can rest well at night knowing that I cared more about my guys and, and, and their careers and, you know, their goals and aspirations than I cared about, you know, furthering my career, like getting good OER bullets or whatever. Like I was, I cared more, I always place my guys first and I think I can rest, I rest pretty well at night knowing that, you know, I always place my guys first and that was always my first, first like priority was them first and then um, always taking care of them and then, you know, whether or not I was a good leader or whether or not I did, you know, I was the best FSO, whether or not I was like the, you know, the, the best one. I don't think I can really say that I was or wasn't, but I can say that I put my guys first and that was like, and I did always did right by my guys. Do you want to talk uh, about the World War II divide I met or should we should leave that for another day? Oh, I think we should leave that for another day. All right. That that'd be a cool cool story for everyone out there that wants to listen. Now you're just gonna have to wait another week. Yeah. So a little teaser. I met a World War II veteran in the hospital, chatted with him, and he told me some stories about uh, his time in the 11th Airborne Division and doing two combat jumps in the Philippines, which I had no idea that we had combat jumps into the Philippines, but we did. And he told me some yeah, really cool stories about uh, what he did in the Philippines uh, during World War II. But we'll say that for another another day. I'm gonna try and interview him at some point uh, if it's if he uh, ever goes home. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. So on that, on, I won't delve too deep into that subject. Um, what else is going on? Anything else you want to talk about? You mean? No. No, we got, you know, stuff coming up. Uh, I got school hitting back hard uh, this next couple weeks. Uh, impeachment stuff, covered that on the weekly dispatch. I'm going to have more news coming out uh, as witnesses and the, the trickle effect of information gets leaked um, from depositions. So that'll be that'll be a lot of fun to cover. Um, do, you have, do you have MLK Day off tomorrow? I do, yeah. Okay. So I have it off tomorrow. To, I have tomorrow off too, but uh, I was actually planning on going in either way because there are some pretty cool surgeries that were scheduled for tomorrow. But uh, they end up not. Go, they're not going tomorrow anymore. So I don't, I'm gonna take tomorrow off. But I, I also had the realization last week too that I have chosen the right specialty uh, because it began like last year. I was like doing a lot of self. I don't know if you remember. I was doing like a lot of like self like. Uh, examination trying to figure out what what kind of specialty i wanted to do and last week i came to the realization that i definitely chose correct because like with surgery um they are long ass days for nobody for people that don't understand like i wake up uh so i have to be in the hospital by 5 30 to start work so i usually wake up at 3 30 in the morning to get a workout in and then Get, I'm out the door by 4:45 to get to the hospital. To get to the hospital like 5:15, you know, change and get all my stuff ready for the day. And that usually goes from like 5:30 until about four, five o'clock in the afternoon uh, every day. And like, it's literally like, you know, like I don't do anything else besides going to the hospital for surgery. And I also realized that 
I look forward to it every day. And I'm willing to like sacrifice my day off like tomorrow to go in and watch some cool surgeries and go do some cool surgeries because I just am so, you know, in love with it and love it so much. Dude, that's really cool. I, I remember I don't know, maybe maybe a year or two ago when we were talking yeah. about like where you saw yourself medically and it just kinda went you know, it, it harkens back to the idea of like, you know, you want to play varsity. Uh, winners want the ball, hashtag Keanu Reeves. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we're like, no, you know, yeah, I got to go serious. Like, there we go. Like, that's 100%. Like, that's Bobby. Yeah. Bobby is is that number one dude. So I'm like, like I'm ecstatic that you're going to be out at Lewis yeah. and and just crushing it up there. And then, you know, in, was it three months you graduate? Uh, Four months. It was like May 14th or something like that. Okay, I'm gonna have to try to get to that because I think my last final's on the 15th. Oh yeah, if you can come down, be kind. That'd be sweet. Um, I was gonna have my sister commission me actually, <laughs> but I, if if that doesn't work, have it have you as a backup to commission me. Can you do something? Do you still have a uniform? Um, are you still in the? Re- I think I, are you still yeah. in the reserve? You still in that reserve is technically right. Oh fuck no! Oh, no 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 oh, no no! I, I'm out, homie. Never mind. I guess you can't commission me. I guess you still could like s- s- still do the same money. I don't know. No, I, uh, I'm officially out. I'm, I'm what they call a veteran. I don't know if you know this. I, you know, I went to see the New York Philharmonic last night and, you know, they had like three rounds of standing ovations, uh, after Dvorak's ninth symphony. And as a veteran, I knew part of that was for me. Oh yeah. And Implicitly. I, I get the exact same reaction when I step onto a United flight. <laughs> uh, not so much Delta. Uh, you know, because obviously they're the unit, yeah. um, and not so much JetBlue, but United. I, I, I find that I might get like an extra pack of peanuts. Um, it's just one of those things. You'll, you'll get it one day. I mean, you'll get it. But you know, as a veteran, I can tell you that, uh, you know, my services uh, are appreciated mm-hmm. in the city. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, salute me for my service. Yeah, well, not just salute me, but you can call me sir. Like, you know, you have to fill out forms here in school. It's like, what is your preferred uh, pronoun? And I'm always saying sir. <laughs> just sir. Naturally. Captain. Captain, if you will. El Capitan. Le Capitan, uh, for the French speakers out there. Right, right, right. Obermeister Fuhrer, or whatever the German equivalent is. All right. So I guess with that uh, little segment, we will start wrapping it up. Um, anything you want to throw out there, Sean? Uh, we are going to start a weekly charity initiative on the Weekly Dispatch, just where we talk about a, a charity that if you're interested in, um, we're going to try to, to generate discussion or, or you know getting you mm-hmm. to, to think um, to be towards more uh, selfless and being somebody. Uh, this week we talked about the Safe Passages Project, um, which helps uh, children in immigration courts uh, get representation, counseling, um, and we're going to try to continue doing stuff like this uh, for the remainder uh, of the weekly dispatches. Oh, so cool. hit us up, send, send me something. If, if you've got a charity in mind, um, we're going to try to keep it, you know, politically neutral so there's there's not going to be any influence here on if you're the on the left side or the right side of the aisle but just people that are in need and as americans if we can do something about it so uh take a look into that for the next week that's all that's a great idea i think just highlighting like the uh highlighting you know charity charitable events kind of like humanizes everybody and you know draws some attention to those who might not have it as good as we do because exactly we like we've mentioned was it last week we talked about like we kind of won the cosmic lottery, being born a male in America. No, we we absolutely to middle did. class parents. Um, <laughs> to middle class parents. Oh, we, you know, real quickly too. Like I, I'm studying constitutional law right now, and you know, you mentioned the male privilege thing earlier, but you know, even the way that people interpret the Constitution is entirely based on the circumstances by which they find themselves citizens of this country. If you are a, a white male there's probably a higher likelihood that when you read the Constitution, which is considered the body of law, especially for the Supreme Court when they review uh, cases and go through judicial review, you're going to read that as an originalist or a textualist where, listen, these words mean something. The founding fathers, whether it was their intent 
to have this amendment read that way is something that we should consider. And, you know, if you're not a white male, uh, you'd probably find that pretty aggravating or pretty annoying just because it's a very narrow interpretation. And then you have a more, um, I wouldn't say nuanced, but uh, like a, a pluralistic uh, approach where you have a broader interpretation based on maximizing representation politically for individuals, uh, where they kind of draw their argument is the the, consti- the the colonists' constitutional arguments was based on like the participational themes, and they wanted to have their input into the process, uh, how they were governed and by which they were governed, finding it was insufficient, and then they were being denied what others were receiving based on taxes. And then we look at all of the amendments that have been passed within the last hundred years are all based essentially on representation, whether it's you know uh, women's right to vote and, and changing up some of the, the requirements and representation in politics. Um, it's really fascinating. So I think that's one of the things that you know we can talk about further. I'll probably break it down on a, on a weekly dispatch episode. But you know, being a male, uh, being a white male for me, you know, you don't realize, like you were saying in the hospital, some of the things that you have advantages of. And oh, yeah. it's it's probably incumbent on us to do something to make sure that, you know, as Americans, we, we maximize that participation and that equality for everyone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's definitely, we should talk about, like, social equality the next time because that's something that I only kind of realized this past couple of years in med school because I never really thought about it, about, like, race and equality until, you know, I was in med school in Camden. And they actually taught us, like, or not taught us, but like we were. Ex- I was exposed to at least, you know, the disparities and 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 like wealth and how that, or just being where you're, like, the skin that you're born and where you're born drives like a lot of kind of like your destiny. So it's kind of interesting. Hundred percent, homie. Yeah. So we can talk about that next time. I think that's a cool topic to talk about because it's definitely something that I didn't even appreciate until I left the military. Because you know, in the military, we don't really exposed to stuff like that it's like social issues <laughs> absolutely not um like i i remember being deployed when uh, again we're, we keep going down these rabbit holes but when when black lives matter and uh the protests in ferguson were going on and a lot of soldiers were just looking at that like what is this for like why are they complaining and it's like well guys like we this is probably a really good opportunity to have this conversation mm-hmm as to why individuals in your country, the ones that you know, you're know you protecting, are using that First Amendment right and how that's so important. And if, if you think that they have an argument or they're, they're empty on the words that they're choosing, then that's something we can now approach and have an open dialogue about. But you know, it, it, what they're doing right there is representative of what the Founding Fathers did when they kicked the shit out of the British uh, <laughs> back in the end of the 1700s. So... No, it's pretty cool to see the, the radicalization, and I don't mean that like in a violent context, but the radicalization of like the free press and word and assembly and all the things that were guaranteed by that constitution, that like living, breathing document of law. Yeah, it's cool. a super interesting topic that we should definitely devote some more time talking about. Uh, I don't really have anything to pitch this week, but, you know, Drop a five-star review. Leave us a comment. Let us know how we're doing and what we can talk, do better. Uh, we appreciate all you guys' support over the years. Looking forward to continuing the Cronus mission. Hell yeah. All right. I'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Peace.